So basically what I tried to do there was take all of the knowledge that I have as a pharmacist and how the medications are working and then complement that with my newfound nutritional knowledge and look at it with a more focused eye and look at the the implications of the medication, how they were working, how they were depleting the body and how those depletions were actually the causes of the side effects more often than not. And that by putting together a package where we could say, look, you know, if somebody's taking this medicine, then that's going to deplete the body of this, this and this. And if we look at the side effects, we can see that a lot of the side effects are actually the symptoms of the nutrient deficiencies. And it just sort of built, built from there. And then I sort of looked at how to support practitioners to work with these patients to improve their health and to hopefully support the reduction of their medication in line with their doctor's consent, doctor's supervision, and how, how to put it into a package so that it made sense to practitioners. Hello, and welcome to the Natural Healthcare Network podcast. My name is Deb McLeod, and I really appreciate your sitting in and listening in. This week, I am delighted to say we have Debbie Grayson joining us. She is the drug-nutrient interaction expert. She is a pharmacist, she is a registered nutritional therapist, and she is also an academic tutor. Debbie is joining us today with my co-host, Grace Adams. Grace is a registered nutritional therapist, and I am so delighted that I have both of them on the show with me today. I hope you enjoy hearing Debbie's story and learning more about what led her down this pathway where she's helping so many complementary healthcare practitioners today. I'm so excited to have you on the show with me today, Debbie Grayson, and delighted that Grace Adams is joining me as a co-host. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. So Grace and I are here today to really talk to you, Debbie. Actually, we want to hear about your personal story, to hear about your background in pharmacology as a pharmacist, uh, what's got you into that, and then what led you into becoming a nutritional therapist. And now what you're doing is you really help nutritional therapists understand the complexities of nutrients when they're mixed with medications. And we know today that so many people are on numerous medications and or people may be on one medication, but that could have big implications on the individual if you put them on different supplements and or foods. So we're, that's a lot to pack in an hour, but um, are you happy for us to to do that? And Grace, you're going to obviously jump in as and when you fancy and choose. Is that okay, Debbie? That sounds absolutely fine. Okay, great. All right. So if I ask you to take it away on just to give us a little bit of your background, is that okay? Is that all right with you? Yeah, that's that's fine. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been qualified as a pharmacist now for about 25 years. Um, seems like a, a long time ago now. And always up until 2008 was sort of very very set on pharmacy and medicine being the whole answer 
to helping people to get well, hadn't really given any thought to alternative approaches, lifestyle and sort of other issues that we could deal with. Um, And then in 2008, I actually had an accident um, and fractured one of the vertebrae in my back and spent a good two to three years taking lots of medications to try and get through the working day um, felt very zombified sort of really appreciated just what medication could do to you as a person and got to the point where I decided I had to make changes to actually be able to have some sort of a life because I was literally just going from day to day so in doing that I discovered a nutritional therapist who did quite a lot of work with me she was also a specialist in exercise so we did quite a lot of work to improve the stability of my back and improve the pain um that lady was Emma Lane she's very much the reason that I'm here now at the time she was very much specializing in exercise rehabilitation and okay. the the use of exercise to stabilize injuries and and back problems um and I as I began working with her to try and sort of get to a point where I could come off the medication, which we did successfully manage to do. Gosh. And in working with her, she sort of started to open my eyes into the different methods that you could use to achieve wellness. And one of the things that she did was she encouraged me to do one of her courses, focusing on how to improve the health of the gut Um, without the use of medication and I I still very much remember now sitting there when she was talking about how proton pump inhibitors have such a dramatic effect on the body and and the issues that were with them and thinking at the time oh my god I'm personally wiping out the health of half the people that I serve in the pharmacy and I think at the time my face must have been a picture because she was like it's okay Deb because you didn't know And it's like, yeah, but now I do. And what do we do about it? And at that time, I had recently lost my sister. Um, She suffered from a brain hemorrhage. But she had huge digestive issues that I believe led to that hemorrhage becoming the issue that it was. And that very much made me think about whether I could have done something if I'd known then what I now know. Um, and if I could have helped her in some way and maybe changed that. And and I can't dwell on that to a point, you know, it, yeah. it, that's life and that's, that's how it goes. But from that point, it very much made me realise that I was actually doing the patients of the pharmacy quite a disservice by not looking at the bigger picture. Um, and so I made the decision that I would study nutritional therapy um, to be able to bring that into my practice as a pharmacist and ultimately to maybe swap from being a pharmacist to being a nutritional therapist full-time. Um, very much realised that actually I could make more of a difference combining the two modalities together than practising one or the other. And, yeah, over over the last few years, I've sort of shifted my focus to being more of a support mechanism for other nutritional therapists bringing together those two skills that I have my knowledge of pharmacology and my knowledge of nutritional therapy and actually being able to teach it in a way that I hope most people find quite accessible Um, 
and spend quite a lot of my time, you know, helping other nutritional therapists and complementary practitioners just to sort of get their heads around what's going on with medication and what supplements they can safely give, you know, and when to do things through food and when to actually, you know, give give a supplement. So I do tend to find that a lot of practitioners are too are a little scared of recommending supplements, but oftentimes these patients on medication are the ones that actually probably need more support than than anyone else. And it's I'm very passionate that as a profession we're supporting that rather than being too scared to practice. Um, so that that's very much my my focus. Mm, that makes so much sense. It's, your story is really inspirational, and um, I think the work you're doing is really bridging those two worlds, which doesn't they, those worlds don't often get bridged. You seem to be this sort of missing link, and it's so so valuable. You know, just from working with clients myself and having consulted you, your your knowledge is just immensely valuable and so so helpful. And you know, just just now reading through your Facebook group, which is sort of like a um, a space where nutritional therapists can ask you their queries on certain cases. Um, there's very much this feeling of collaborative care, which you mentioned in the group, and it's it's um, you know bridging those worlds, as you say, combining those two modalities is so valuable to someone like myself. It's just I'm just immensely grateful that you're there to, as someone who we can consult. <laughs> I completely agree. My first client, I would have just been complete at a complete and utter loss without you. I, you know, just you don't realize how many people you do, how many lives you touch, not only with your own clinic and your own being a pharmacist, which you still are, I guess you are still in a, you're still I, practicing, aren't you? Yes. I am still practicing. Yes. So you're touching so many lives and, and the practitioners themselves, we depend on you a lot. So we need to take really good care of you (laughs) do you know I I I don't think I actually realize how many people I actually sort of touch within the year and and it's nice when somebody will pop up and they'll go oh yes I've heard all about you and it's like oh have you you know and it's it's just it's it's been a bit of a roller coaster to be fair these last couple of years um and it's it's nice to know that I've actually got a purpose and that um, I'm helping far more people through my practitioner support than I could ever do just practicing on my own. Well, I, I think I speak for many of us um, when I say that we're immensely grateful and, yeah, you enable us to help people as best we possibly can. So it's absolutely it's, it's so valuable. Yeah, really amazing. So can I ask you about your process? You've put together courses. So how did you formulate that as a one who looks at formulas and formulations? How did you do that? Okay, so obviously my first course I wrote while I was still a nutritional therapy student, which was my, what I would call my flagship course, which is my um, basic pharmacology and drug nutrient interaction course. So basically what I tried to do there was take all of the knowledge that I have as a pharmacist and how the medications are working and then complement that with my newfound nutritional knowledge and look at it with a more focused eye and look at the 
the implications of the medication, how they were working, how they were depleting the body, and how those depletions were actually the causes of the side effects more often than not. And that by putting together a package where we could say, look, you know, if somebody's taking this medicine, then that's going to deplete the body of this, this and this. And if we look at the side effects, we can see that a lot of the side effects are actually the symptoms of the nutrient deficiencies. And it just sort of built built from there. And then I sort of looked at how to support practitioners to work with these patients to improve their health and to hopefully support the reduction of their medication in line with their doctor's consent, doctor's supervision, and how how to put it into a package so that it made sense to practitioners. One of my one of my skills that I've probably had since beginning practice is the ability to put quite complex concepts and complex medical terms into something that a patient could understand so that they knew what they were taking and how it was working and what it was doing and I obviously just melded that into my course in the same principle that if I could make it so that a patient could understand it any practitioner wherever they were in their journey and whatever their modality should be able to follow that process too Um, and I think that is I've always prided myself on that being one of my skills is to actually sort of take complex issues and make them them simple it obviously took quite a lot of research to pull together all these different elements how the medications were affecting the body and for me it's very much like links it's like a light bulb goes off in my brain I'll start to look at something and I'll think ah that new that drug depletes the body of magnesium so that would be why that drug causes fatigue cramp headaches and once I started to make those connections by my two two modalities then everything seemed to make sense and what I wanted was for other practitioners to be able to make those connections as well it is really, really valuable, um, the insights that you have. And, um, yeah, having looked at some of your recordings um, on the Facebook group, what the, the uh, mention of, um, you know, how certain medications might affect protein metabolism and therefore um, we should make sure we um, recommend high levels of protein in the diet or how um, different medications affect melatonin um uh, so and we then would focus on sleep hygiene you're really blending the worlds together and I, it doesn't seem to happen that often and it's often for me it feels like um you you're, you're giving us the tools to make the plans that are the best that we can and I just I love the way that it blends together I mean I love the way when I'm studying for and writing a plan that um a person's case sort of tells its own story but then you can fill in these other missing links which are just so helpful which reinforce some of the things we might want to add into the plan so yes it's 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 inspiring and it's really amazing um how the body works and that actually everything is a message from the body really um and like like you're saying with depletions that's another message from the body saying i need more of this absolutely and i think it's it's often said that people want to be able to download my brain um, and, I, and I admit I do have quite a strange brain I suppose it does seem to sort of hold things in strange places and make connections that other people don't um but but yeah I think it's 
it's that ability to be able to understand what the medic medication is doing at a cellular level that sets us apart as practitioners because we can then have a different level of understanding of, of what our clients are going through and how best to support them. And I, and I think from a, from a practice point of view, that can only be beneficial. Well, I mean, I find your story really inspiring and it's obviously very personal to you, your history. And um, when you say that you sort of found a purpose, that I think that's really chimes, chimes with me. And I think um, one of my questions was going to be what motivates you and what gives you purpose. But I guess um, you've almost answered that really by explaining your story already. Yeah, I think very much my... I've always enjoyed helping people and helping people to get well. Um, and it doesn't matter for me how bad a day I have, just knowing that I've made a difference to one person makes it all worthwhile. And certainly over the previous, the past six months with all of the coronavirus chaos and, you know, time in the pharmacy has been quite shocking. It's knowing that I've helped that little old lady or I've just made a difference to someone just makes, you know, makes everything else worth worthwhile. So how are you, how have you managed with all of this? Because you've, you've been in the pharmacy probably pretty well nonstop. So, so I don't know how you've done it, quite frankly, because <laughs> you've been also, we've been watching you because you've been doing these courses online and then you're doing your work in the pharmacy. So how are you, how do you as a practitioner, well, you, you, you are a practitioner, but how are you organizing your life so you can do all of these things for people since that's sort of driving your purpose? Okay. So I could say that sleep is for the week. But then I would be lying. Um, so I have been making sure that I have obviously had some downtime, though granted there hasn't been huge amounts. Um, but I am quite lucky, apart from those first few weeks of the coronavirus breakdown, um, where you know we coined the phrase Farmageddon for my current pharmacy because it was so horrendous. Um, it, it did calm down probably, I'd say, about four weeks in so that I was able to go back to my normal hours. So although while I was there, it was quite bad, I wasn't working loads of extra days to catch up. So I'm quite lucky in that I do actually normally only do three days per week in the pharmacy. So I do have a little bit of time to do other things outside of that. To be fair, I think I've probably been driven by the lack of other things that I was able to do. The fact that there wasn't really anywhere to go, you know, mm -hmm. I had to be really careful that I wasn't mixing with people because I couldn't afford to take the virus into the pharmacy. But I also wouldn't have been happy to take the virus out of the pharmacy to people that I loved or to people that I connected with. So I did almost really not have much external opportunities to do anything. And I'm not the sort of person to just sit there and do nothing so consequently, that's that's driven me quite quite a lot. Um, and having gone from somebody that didn't want to do any podcast videos, be seen online, I've you know I've just gone completely the opposite way. I wouldn't say I'm quite addicted to it, but I I'm not quite as phased by it 
though I have recorded some videos this morning for my upcoming courses that was a bit weird because I was just sat in front of the video camera I don't mind being on zoom where I can see people um, but just talking to a piece of technology still isn't quite quite normal though I have gotten over that feeling of perfection um, so if I do stumble over my words I no longer record over them I just sort of chuckle and move on because otherwise I think I wouldn't get anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally get that. I mean, the you know, I I find I let myself just sort of fumble over my words in my podcast. So I used to have to edit everything out, but now I just think, oh, for goodness sake, you know, yeah. I am normal. You know, I'm, I, I can't be. I, yeah, I just think it makes it more authentic, doesn't it? Yeah. There's, you know, there's yeah. no perfect recording. You know, it's 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 natural, isn't it, for the the brain and the mouth not to be fully connected at all times, and that's fine. Yeah. yeah. So if we move on a bit, so if we talk a little bit about you've had this time to put, to put these courses together, and so you know you've got what are the different courses that you're providing right now? Because um, your business is where your website is practice with confidence. Is that right? That is right. Yes, it's practice practicewithconfidence.thinkific.com. Okay. All right. We'll put that on the the show notes for sure so people can access it there. And you've got so people it's better for people to sign up so they can receive where well, you're going to send emails and stuff. I was just saying to you I've signed up although I've taken your yeah. pharmacology course I've signed up. Yeah. So so basically what I've got at the minute is I've got my signature pharmacology course which has has changed since going online because of the the luxury of having longer to deliver it because people aren't sat in a room or having to travel. Um so it has it has progressed quite a bit to what it was. Um as a spin-off of that, I was able to spend a lot more time talking about how to help patients on PPIs and, and what the impact was. You, you'll remember when you did my course in Bristol that we, we did do quite a bit of discussion, but there was obviously a lot more that we could have, could have done. So it basically turned itself into a two-hour standalone course. So that's now an e-course. It's all very singing and dancing. It's videos and interactive quizzes and, and things. It's it's quite it's quite funky, if that's a, a word I can say. Yeah. Um so that's going well, that's going live on the second of September. So it's oh, cool. going it's going Great. live tomorrow. My husband is just doing the final editing as we speak. Um and the intention for that was to be able to give practitioners that maybe weren't quite ready to do my pharmacology course, they weren't in the right headspace, they maybe had lots of other things that they were doing to build their, their clinic up or they were still finishing uh, qualification, to just give them that level of knowledge, which I think is probably key for every practitioner because PPIs are almost the number one prescribed medication and the impact of them on the body is phenomenal. So I wanted to get it out there as something that somebody could just buy and do in their own time. So that's that's going live. And basically anybody who's already done my pharmacology course will actually get access to that for free. Oh, that's brilliant. So oh, cool. I've been trying to get as many of those students to sign up to my website as possible 
so that over the next couple of days I can literally just go and allocate the course to them once it's gone live the the other thing that I'll be so the other thing that I'll be doing as part of that is anybody that buys the course that hasn't done my pharmacology course can offset the cost of that course against the pharmacology course fee so that it's not like they're paying to do it twice it will be part of part of the package so that was that was my plan it was a way of getting that information out there but then obviously dependent on where you were in your journey depends on you know how you how you get access to it basically so i am trying to encourage people to to sort of sign up to my my website um i'm one of those people that doesn't like emailing people um you know i'm sure we all get those email funnels where you're getting an email every day and have to open it and I've always said that I won't do that so that hopefully will sort of reassure practitioners that it isn't just a complete marketing tool that you know you will only get an email when something new comes out and I won't harass people um, because I know that I don't like to be harassed so I think we you know we sort of find our own way but then also over the next sort of five five weeks or so I'm also in the process of starting um, a couple of membership options so my first membership option which goes live on the 14th of October September even sorry goes live on the 14th of September is aimed at nutritional therapy students so I've been doing quite a lot of work with the College of Naturopathic Medicine as their academic tutor. Um, I've been doing that since just before lockdown. Um, and it's become quite apparent that there's a body of students that haven't come from a scientific background that are feeling particularly out of their depth. And I can see that quite a lot of them are losing their morale and their confidence. Um so what I'm hoping to be able to deliver within that membership is the skills that they need to be able to write their academic pieces of work, um, some clinical skills to help them with their clinic assessments and just sort of support with exam revision, trying to make the content of the course more relevant. So lots of case study work so that they can see it in a a real-time perspective rather than just pages and pages of of background information um, and just basically support them through the course and try and give them a little bit more nurturing a bit more confidence so that when they actually get to the end of the course they've actually got the confidence to practice because I can see that some of them are losing their confidence because they're thinking I can't do this I'm not clever enough and I think sometimes it's just Things have to be put in different ways for different people. And and that's my goal with the student membership is to support them to enjoy the process rather than it just be something that you need to get to the end of. Um, so that launches on the 14th of September. And then on the 5th of October, I launch my practitioner membership so my ultimate aim is that the practitioner membership is an extension of my pharmacology course so it builds on the knowledge that I instilled during that course but then looks at some of the disease conditions body systems in more detail 
and looks at the medications in more details and we can spend a lot more time looking at things like drugs that affect the immune system what they're actually doing and looking at which supplements are an absolute no which ones might be okay in certain conditions and just how to support patients with immune problems generally so it will be a a mix of supplemental support suggestions for people that aren't taking medication alongside how the medications are working and how to combine the two together dependent on what it is that you're being presented with and where certain conditions will alter the interactions because what might be an interaction for one condition may well not be significant in another condition so it's how to put all of that together so the idea will be that there'll be one new new add-on module every four to six weeks and people can obviously just do those Uh, some will be live some will be a combination of e-learning with a live session um, and they'll all be there permanently available so that as new people join they can go back and look at it historically or some of them might be repeated throughout the year um so my intention with that is that if you didn't do any other sort of cpd at all those courses would cover everybody's cpd requirements for the entire year so just being a member would mean that you wouldn't have to worry about external cpd any external cpd would be a bonus um within that i'll also continue my live q a's that i've been doing where people can join in and ask questions about cases that they've got. We'll also be doing um, specific case studies where we can actually look at case studies that I present against the ones that people sort of bring to me as, you know, can I ask you some questions about this? Um, There'll also be opportunities to have some one-to-one support within, within the membership um and i intend to create little communities so that if if practitioners have got a specific specialism within my membership website there'll be communities based purely on that and people can join as many or as few communities as they wish to be able to sort of focus particularly on that so bringing practitioners together so it isn't just it's not just my expertise but it's just somewhere that we can all come together and my hope is that we can actually do that independently of Facebook if needs be um, because I'm conscious that obviously things within Facebook are changing and some people aren't happy using Facebook so as well as having a dedicated Facebook page for my membership I wanted to have some external avenues of us being able to collaborate so that people who weren't on Facebook weren't disadvantaged by that Um, and then there'll be some repetition across the two memberships so I'm going to do quite a lot of work around sort of different questioning techniques um, how to instill a therapeutic relationship how to keep clinic consultations to a time scale without appearing that you're not listening or you know how to just be more effective as a practitioner because I know certainly in the early years that's something that a lot of us struggle with it's it's finding that balance between being business-like and showing empathy and where those two lines get blurred and how you know how to practice 
you know, effectively. I was literally only going to keep that in the student membership, but when I when I put it out on my Facebook group, what I was going to offer in the two, a lot of the practitioners were like, can we be in both memberships? And it's like, well, no, it's fine. It's fine. I will just make sure that anything that I think will suit both memberships will sort of join. So although there'll be individual memberships, they'll where there's a common theme, it'll be available to both um without obviously having to be a member of the two so you're either a student or a practitioner and the common elements will be repeated in both in both memberships though there'll be a separate facebook group for each so i don't know about you grace but i've got just loads of questions in my head do you want do you have some questions you'd like to ask no you go ahead though so one of the things I was thinking about, just as a, a quick hit, what's your average, what are your average uh, clients like? Like, do you have majority students? Do you have majority practitioners that have only been practicing a few years? Do you have a variety of practitioners as years of experience, et cetera, et cetera? It's, or is it? Um... It's, yeah, it's a complete mix. I would say that I've got practitioners that have been qualified for sort of 10, 15 years. I do have an awful lot that are within their first sort of two to three years of practice. Um, and obviously since taking on the academic tutor role, the student members are, are becoming more of a more of a cohort there. There's, there's certainly more interest there from a, a support point of view. So there is really quite a, quite a broad mix. Um, and it's nice, I think, to have a broad mix and a bit of, of variety. Of course, it keeps you on your toes as well, doesn't it, really, it I does. suspect. And do you work with many people in conventional medicine? Do you find you have people talking to you as a pharmacist and saying, I've got a client, you know, I've got a patient that's come to me and they're on all these supplements and I don't understand. Do, or do you just have people that are medical doctors or nurses coming on your course so they can understand more? Or is that a silly question? Yeah, no, I mean, I've had I've had some nurses that have come and done my course, but they've already been going down that nutritional therapy journey. Okay. Um, certainly within the village where I work as a pharmacist, there are some of the GPs within the practice will sort of, if they get a patient that say perimenopausal and is reluctant to go on HRT and they'll go, oh, you need to go over to the pharmacy and speak to Deb because she'll she'll sort it. And, and sometimes, you know, if I've had some of the GPs have gone, Do you know what, I think you've got, there's a serious allergic issue going on here. But I think you've got a problem with your gut. So go and have a have a word with Debbie. That was quite nice the first time that happened because that was like a, you know, a breakthrough moment for me. Mm. So it's my collaboration's mostly been through sort of my work within the pharmacy. Um, I don't really have a following in the sort of the medical fraternity as such yet because I haven't really tried to garner that. I've tried to sort of support the more complimentary side I think just not for any specific reason that just seems to be the path the path that I've taken it really does make sense that you're doing it that way because you know we're coming in from it of trying to understand the clients have already been prescribed these medications Grace have you got do you want to ask I don't know if it um takes away from your course but like this one of my questions which doesn't directly follow from where we were, but um, was what your four best resources that you recommend practitioners use before they come and try and pick your brain? 
<laughs> Do you know what? I don't think there's any. There's no single one best best resource. So certainly, I I tend to use the Natural Medicines database quite a bit, um, just because that seems to have quite a lot of access to the different research papers. So yeah. I tend to sort of dig deeper into the actual papers when I look at that website rather than just sort of trying to say well the probability of an interaction is this and the severity is that it's I like that website because you can actually go and have a look at the research and say do you know what actually that only happened in one person in a million so I'm not going to worry about that or it only happened in one out of a thousand but they died and it's like that might worry me a little bit more um, so I do quite like that website as a as a resource. Mm. Um, if I'm answering a quick question, I will sometimes just have a look at WebMD. WebMD yeah. is quite good for a quick um, herb interaction point of view because it does easily tell you which of the CYP enzymes are interfered by with each herb. So you can... I can quickly rule things out on there. I won't use it as my absolute resource, but I almost use it as a screening tool because mm. I can access that quite quickly. I do also use the web the website medicines.org quite a lot, which is the manufacturer's data sheet website. So when a drug comes to market, the manufacturer has to do almost like a safety data sheet that explains how the medications work in uh, what it interacts with, how frequent the side effects occur. What I like for that one is that actually tells you how the drug's metabolized. So you can work out what interactions you're going to have and, you know, what impact that's likely to have on on your suggestions. So I sort of use, they're probably my free go-to ones. Oh, and my fourth one is my tabin, Um which is the one where I find the depletions, it's quite a, a quick. I do think sometimes that it maybe gives you more depletions than are possibly necessarily there. But I think the fact that it gives you the symptoms of those depletions enables you to put it together. So just because something has a list of depletions doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be the case for your client. And I like the fact that it shows you the symptoms and it's dead easy to put it together and good, you know what? Well, it says it might deplete zinc, but they've not got any of those deficiency symptoms. So chances mm. are in their case, it's not an issue yet, but it's something to maybe watch going for, forwards. So it's really just a mix of those four, I'd say I probably use, yeah. apart from doing maybe sort of it, independent research to find you know obscure studies or papers out there that haven't made it to made it to the database yet um i'm finding that yeah as i say i'm finding that quite a lot with cbd oil in that you know there's more and more interaction sort of potential being sort of discovered day by day we're finding out more interactions with the cyp enzyme system um and that and i think we're gonna we're gonna find over the next 12 months we're gonna see more of that issue arise as we're seeing more and more people use it so i think sometimes it is important to just do a quick independent research to make sure that there isn't anything new that hasn't made it to a database yet Mm, i guess there's a delay on that and then and the cbd world is growing very rapidly it is growing very rapidly yes yeah 
And I think there's also CBD oil and there's CBD oil and there's some, there's some good people out there to, 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 to talk to about that. I know a couple that I chat with about the interactions mm. and they're, you know, so I, I think it's, it's really uh, relevant and yeah, you're right. It's going to be more and more that comes to light, I think over time. Mm. Absolutely. Gosh, there's, I mean, there's so many things to, to keep chatting about. Um, where would you like to go with this now? Have you got either of you, you've got something you want to, what road would you like to go down now or continue on? I was just thinking about the two worlds that you're bridging. So in terms of the naturopathic approach, we learn to look for the root cause. And um, in terms of the pharmaceutical approach, it's often about treating the symptom. There's a question in there somewhere about, you know, how those two worlds come together at best they do come together and work well together. And yeah, you, you're bridging those two worlds. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts about bridging them. Yeah, so I think my approach tends to be that medicine is almost the quick fix. You know, when people get to the point where they're feeling quite poorly, they need something that's going to make them feel better quite quickly. And I think that's very much where the allopathic approach can be quite good because most medications do work quite significantly quite quickly I think where the two worlds blend is that in our ability to look at the root cause and to deal with the root cause and to actually start to improve the health of the person so that they can then start to look at whether that medication is still necessary and obviously there will be cases where that is still the case um, but oftentimes with a lot of the sort of common things that we see that if you can take the time to improve the person's health and lifestyle you can reduce the the, the use of medication so for example if somebody's suffering with heartburn and they've got you know irritation of the esophagus then in the short term the use of a ppi to reduce that acid production to allow the mucosa to heal is absolutely the right thing to do because we know that if the mucosa is damaged long term that there could be issues with cancer development further down the line so in that instance the use of a ppi is is absolutely right where it isn't right is that that then just becomes the mainstay of that person's medication for years and years on end because patients don't realize that it only takes three days to become reliant on a ppi and after three days if you stop it you're going to get rebound heartburn and invariably that rebound heartburn can actually be worse than the heartburn you got at the start so without any extra education they'll just see that as a sign that their body definitely needs the medication and i think that's where we come in to actually good you know what it's not it's the fact that you're too busy too stressed you're eating too fast you know you've you're eating the wrong foods, you're drinking too much coffee, too much alcohol. And actually, if we just take it back and learn to digest our food properly, then you can actually reduce the use of the medication and discontinue it completely. But it's doing it in a way that they're prepared for and that actually will be successful. And I think that's probably that was what started me on this journey and I think that's what's continuing me on this journey and there are many more medications where that's 
you know, that's the case. Um, most high blood pressure medications, if we just educated people about the overuse of caffeine and the need for suitable hydration, we could reduce, you know, blood pressure medication dramatically. I do it in the pharmacy all the time. The number of people that stop drinking coffee, start drinking more water and find that they then don't need as much medication or even in some instances don't need it at all. And it's that, you know, getting it under control to start with, but then taking the time to make it better long term and appreciating that sometimes that might take six to 12 months, dependent on how committed the person is to making those changes. And it's knowing where where to intervene and how to do so safely and how to stick within our remit as well. So when when we can make those suggestions to people and say, look, you know, I think if we do this, this and this, you know, you may well be able to reduce your medication, but you'll need to do that with the support of your GP. All we're going to do is set the foundations and then set the ball rolling. And it's it's being able to bring that together and, and empower patients and practitioners alike to have the knowledge to be able to achieve that. Brilliant, yes. I have a question around the, the sort of pharmaceutical world as it's such big business and money is such a big part of it. And um, here we are trying to help people off their medications. I don't know if this is too political, but um, the, this, the question around the fact that pharmaceutical companies are so driven by making a profit and shareholders and um, I don't know if you've seen the film The Constant Gardener. It was one. It used to be one of my favourites. It's a sort of thriller about revealing some potential risks. Or basically, um, a, a diplomat in Kenya, uh, his wife discovers that the pharmaceutical company is doing testing which is harming people in and potentially killing people in in Africa. And it's a very sort of political story. But I don't know if you're aware of that novel or the film and I guess if we're trying to get people off medications that's seen as great for their health if if it's the right thing with the support of the GP but we're then likely to take business away from the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah I suppose that's that's the I hadn't really sort of given given that that much thought to be fair. I suppose from my point of view there is obviously you know, there is there is a drive within the pharmaceutical industry to make money, very much like there is a drive in every industry to make money. And, you know, sometimes that drive to make money might overrule what's right and what's moral. Um, I think certainly from my point of view, once a drug's been out for a number of years, it then becomes what we call um, a generic and oftentimes generics will cost sort of 20p a month or a pound a month. So a lot of the medications that we're looking to support patients on at the moment, for the majority of them, there isn't that financial incentive from the drug company. So I hope that means that I'm not at risk of uh, retribution further down the line. <laughs> um, but it's, 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 it's one of those, isn't it? It's, I think there's corruption everywhere. People, mm. you know, people do things for monetary gain all the time. Um, and I think it's having that perspective in it to realise that oftentimes the reason somebody's put on medication should hopefully be for the right reasons because they feel that that's the right medication at the time. 
Yeah. And and I think more often than not, that's the case, though there are exceptions. Um, and I think it's knowing that, you know, most people working with a patient have their best interests at heart, but it might just be that the approach differs and, and it's sort of it is bridging that gap between the two approaches and going, do you know what? Okay, at that moment in time, that was the right approach. But long term, should we be trying to keep people on medication that they maybe should be able to reduce? And that will obviously depend on the condition. And there will be conditions where that isn't possible. And it's being able to work out where you can and where you can't. Um, but but yeah, I'm I'm sure I'm sure there is some element of you know profit in all industries. Um, and you know, I do know that certainly within the pharmaceutical industry, it is big business, and the profits are there. But you know, for the right drug, for the right condition, um, and I do think sometimes that 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 reputation is sometimes warranted. But certainly, from the point of view of the things that we're looking at on a regular basis, that business has gone now, and it's more about educating people as to how to help themselves and how to get better with a little bit more natural natural approach, mm, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes complete sense. I think one of the things that, that I feel would be great living this altruistic mindset of, I, I it would be encouraging to see um, more of an open, um, open-minded uh thought is the wrong sort of word but being more open-minded to nutrients and nutrition as supporting people's health and well-being rather than just saying they don't think that that's any has any validity whatsoever and I realize that research and you know when you have scientists they're only going to look to the research but as nutritional therapists and people who are into the complementary um healthcare arena we know that humans are always going to be the confounders on any research and what might work for one won't necessarily work for the other because of their biochemistry etc etc which is going to throw a scientist's black and white world into sort of no that can't ha- that can't that doesn't make any sense therefore we shouldn't do it whereas medicine does x y and z where i'm going with this statement i don't know other than it would be nice if there was a little bit more of a back and forth on working together yeah yeah and and i get that completely and i think that's a a utopia that we would all we would all enjoy yeah. um and and i think it it's sad in in so much that yes we know that a lot of the nutrients and the approaches that we use have amazing impacts on the people that we're working with but because they are natural products that can't be patented there isn't that rush to develop a study or to look at it in any great detail because where's the benefit going to come to the person that spends the money on that research and I think that's very much the problem that we've faced and probably will face for a, a significant time to come. Um, but the same, by the same token, we openly acknowledge within the medical world that there is a big reliance upon the, the placebo effect in that if somebody believes something's going to help them, it invariably does. And we do know that there is a big medicine mindset and you know how somebody approaches their condition will have will have a big impact and I think the fact that there are so many 
medical practitioners now starting to look at functional medicine and looking at nutrition I think that long term that can only be a good thing and and I think we maybe just need to get more open-minded as I wouldn't even just say as a profession but more open-minded as a population that just because we haven't got a piece of paper that says that this works for this reason that it should be dismissed um and i'd like to think that that is subtly changing um but we're always going to have that two camps of those those practitioners that think that supplements and lifestyle can't have an impact and those that are starting to realize that actually do you know what in some circumstances they can and and i I I honestly believe that I think over the next five years, we will start to see a shift. I think as people get more disillusioned in general, um, you know, we're feeling unwell and not finding the answer. And and at the end of the day, there there is a place for both. Mm. And, and my, I suppose my dream is that we meet in the middle one day and realize that it's not a simple this works or or that doesn't work and I think it's also down to the person as well because you know it's okay us saying that you know if you only changed your diet and your lifestyle you could feel better but some people don't want to do that no you know we've had we've had all this with you know the coronavirus and the increased risk if you're obese if your blood sugar's imbalanced you know if you're not looking after yourself and you know the supermarkets have run out of alcohol they've run out of processed food the 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 fresh food never ran out um (laughs) over the over the last month there's been a worldwide shortage of gaviscon right and it's it's literally been i was speaking to the rep um in work a couple of weeks ago and it's literally just been that the demand has outweighed the supply capabilities of the company that make it and and i I personally find that quite sad um as probably one of the few people who made it through lockdown completely teetotal um i just think that that's a sad state of of affairs um and i think that's that's where medicine obviously still has its place for those those that have, haven't got the time or the capacity or the inclination to help themselves. And I think where we sit of those people that have actually realised that it is it is partly our responsibility to look after ourselves as well. And, and that, you know, but I think as practitioners, it's important that we let people make that decision for themselves. I totally, totally agree with you. I think that how we can forge that relationship between the two and and we're making it about the client and finding out what are the best ways to help them own their health, feel better, do what's going to help them get those wins in place. And sometimes you just have to take medication. That's just the way it is. It is because that is something that's going on that you really need to have medicine. So, so be it. So how do you support the the person who's on that medication? So they are as well as they possibly can be and, or what are the easy wins? So you get the buy-in and people want to do and then they're the people that are just exhausted and can't do anything else. So it's such a, an interesting mishmash where we are right now. I, I think 
the one of the big things I find is just kindness and being kind. I've I've personally been learning how to just to be kinder to myself. And I would yeah. like for us all to to hope that we can do that for ourselves, for our clients, for each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'm, I'm all for helping people to get that quick win, because you can't you can't expect someone to do the serious lifestyle adjustments that are sometimes needed, if they just don't have that energy. And that's mm. when that's where knowing where we can support the medication to improve that energy level might then fuel them further. And I've seen it in clients that I've helped sort of when I first qualified, you know, I managed to do a little bit of support to get them to feel better and to do things. And then a year and a half later, when I just happened to sort of be chatting to them, in that time that they'd not been with me, they'd gone away, they'd done some research and they'd made changes for themselves, you know, and it's like, do you know what, actually, I do this now and I do that now. And I think sometimes we're just setting people off on a journey and it might take them nine, ten years to get there. But just planting that seed, I'd like to think that there are people out there that we've set off on a path that we may never meet again but we've impacted them just by that interaction that we've had. And you're right, it is about that being kind and appreciating, you know, where somebody's at at that point and where they're coming from. Definitely. And I think it's very much a journey um, and not about the destination because it's if we try and reach a destination, we're probably set to fail. I think health is very much about an ongoing process and an ongoing journey. And I think it's easy you know for all of us and for I imagine for our clients too to forget that we do have a a responsibility for our health and that actually the lifestyle changes are so powerful I think we we maybe encourage somehow within our society to look for a, a, a pill that's going to solve the problem but when you do explain that stress reduction sleep for example, lifestyle changes can make such a difference. Being hydrated, you know, these things are actually so powerful um, and they're just the very beginning. And then when people notice that they might feel better, that sort of encourages them to keep um, sort of motivated on the journey. So there's lots we can do that can support that for them. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe they won't have to reach for the Gaviscon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we hope they don't because it's we hope they don't because it's still not really available properly yet so <laughs> that's extraordinary it, it, it did make me chuckle i was waiting for them to say that they'd run out of the raw ingredient because it's made from a seaweed and i was sort of expecting there to be some really sort of serious impact and it was literally just no there were too many bottles being ordered across the world and they were just churning it out non-stop and and I just that just struck me. I probably struck me as even more sad than the alcohol shortage at the beginning. You know, the fact that we're so far in now and that, you know, to be having such requirements for Gaviscon people must still be drinking lots of alcohol, eating lots of foods that maybe aren't the best. Um and and that's fine. And, you know, everybody's in a different position, but I do think I do think we need to appreciate that things do have to change 
Um, we've we've become too industrialized. We've we've progressed much quicker than than the human body was ever meant to, and we can't expect to get away with that forever. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah. So the impact of of the lifestyle that's become the norm is sort of not so helpful for our health in terms of our our DNA isn't programmed for it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, this makes me think, this leads me on to kind of, or leads us full circle, actually, um, back into what you're doing and how you can support nutritional therapists in the complexity of all the medications that people are on. Um, the other thing that I, I think is quite clever that you're doing with your courses and with your website and what you're providing is that everyone's been asking you to write a book, write a book, write a book, write a book. But now you've got your websites and you can update this and you've, you've come up with a very clever way of supporting because any sort of changes in medication, you can do that online. And I think that's really exciting because it takes some of the burden off of you as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think my worry with a book is books date. Yeah. And and very quickly you're then having to do edition two, edition three. Um, there is very much a memoir book in the horizon when I'm no longer a pharmacist and can't get struck off. Um <laughs> but yeah, a, a text the thoughts of writing a text textbook just didn't fill me with with glee, to be fair. Whereas actually you know, being present on a weekly basis and and having that physical interaction with people and being able to support them, you know, through their own sort of journeys makes much more, it resonates with me much more. It's it's more who I am. You know, uh, it is about that interaction and, and that helping people because oftentimes when people will ask me a question uh, on in my Facebook group, if it needs more discussion, I'll often jump on and say, well, let's discuss it over Zoom or, or let's have a call because I think sometimes you can't always put into writing what you want to get across and it does sometimes need that that discussion where you can go, well, actually, yes, the answer is this, but if we do this, this and this, then that that will be the outcome and and I'm always wary that, that that's the approach that I have that that when people need that extra that extra support and that discussion to be able to understand what's going on, that I'm able to provide that. And that's my hope within my membership is that I'll be able to keep doing that within there um, and maybe free up some more time to to be you know to do more of that than I'm I'm currently able to do at the minute. Is that part of your one to one coaching? Because you've got your course on PPI, your basic pharmacology, and then your one to one coaching that you're you're offering. Is that where you would get into? Yeah, yeah. So obviously, there's the one to one coaching, which is there really for people that maybe aren't ready to be in my membership, maybe aren't sort of practicing enough or don't feel that that's right for them it gives them an avenue to actually come and ask me questions one of the comments that I get back from the many practitioners that I help is that up until now I you know I answer everybody's questions I do calls um some people say to me oh you know how can I you know send me a bill and I never do and then 
when I when I speak to practitioners after the fact or speak to other practitioners and they're like you do know that people aren't asking you questions because they feel that they can't (laughs) because there isn't any any sort of reciprocal handover or or any contribution and and that's where the memberships came from really was practitioners going if I knew that I was paying you in some way I'd feel more able to ask you more than I do and that sort of got my thinking thinking well hang on a minute if if people aren't asking me these questions then I'm not achieving what I set out to achieve which was supporting them to to practice so that's really where where the memberships were born from um and my hope is obviously that that enables me to free up some time from having to do other things to make a living to spend more time on the practitioner side of things so that's ultimately my goal is to be spending the majority of my time supporting other practitioners and and developing my skills further in that aspect that's exciting it's good because you're valuing what you're you're providing to uh, us as nutritional therapists which i think is really good i'm i'm trying i'm I'm getting out of that mindset of my brain being available for free (laughs) well these are the things we do so um and there's there's one other question that i want to ask but um before we we go on but what what haven't we talked about that you would like to talk about and what haven't you asked that you would like to ask grace i guess i noticed at one point you suggesting um batch flower remedies to and i just thought that's really validating for that kind of approach more of an alternative approach um coming from a pharmacist i wonder how common that is as a pharmacist to recommend that kind of thing just it's just because I think I heard on another podcast something I can't remember the exact quotation but it was something like we should be supported by science but not prevented by science and so we, we need to go by the science but not let it hold us back if it's not quite there yet it's really nice yeah I think certainly I've, I'm a big fan of certainly the rescue remedy um we've we've had that within the pharmacy for for many years and i think most pharmacists are used to rescue remedy um you know it was always the one that the driving students had before their driving test um my my husband used to take it and said it tasted like whiskey which always made him feel happy and warm <laughs> um and I, and i just think for me it's I'm a great believer in that, you know, if we can just empower somebody to think that something will make them feel better, even if I don't understand the science behind it, which the flower remedies are a bit sort of, you know, you look at it and you're like, "Mm, I don't quite get what they're doing. But I've used flower remedies personally. and, And it does seem to just be that it's that little bit of a hug, that little bit of a feeling that people need. And if that's what they need at that moment in time, I don't care whether there's a scientific basis for it or not. You know, it's if something could potentially help somebody and it's not going to do them any harm, then I, I think, you know, absolutely why, why not? Um, because at the end of the day, our ultimate aim is to make people feel better however we need to achieve that and you're right I don't think we should let the lack of science hold us back 
um, because it isn't to say that something hasn't got a a definite mode of action. It just means that we haven't expended the money to find out what that mode of action is. You know, we know that acupuncture can be amazing, yet proving the science and the mechanism of acupuncture has eluded the medical profession for years. Um, but that's not to say that because that information isn't there, that that tre- treatment isn't valid. Absolutely. Brilliant. Thank you. That's really good. So I asked this of everyone and I always I get a variety of, of responses, which always entertains me. Um, <laughs> now I'm worried. No, no, no. No, it's nothing bad. It's nothing bad at all. I'd just like to ask how we could help you. I mean, you're here on the podcast. They're the obvious things. You're on the pod- podcast. Where, you know, we, Grace and I are big fans of yours. You know, it's it's easy enough to promote you and put information on show on show notes and links. But is there anything in particular that we could help you with at all? Oh, hmm. No, you've got me there, Deb. Okay. <laughs> but I always like to ask because sometimes stuff comes up. You never know. Well, I'm really excited about the things that you're doing and where you're going and, and how you're helping people. And there are so many things that we haven't really addressed, but I... I think for right now, we'll leave it there. But um, I just wanted to thank both of you for your time. It's really been great having you on here. It's been a long time coming. Thank you, Deb. It's been great. Yeah. All right. Thank you both. Thanks, Grace. Well, folks, that's all for today. I really appreciate your sitting in and listening in to Debbie Grayson share her story with us. It is wonderful to have people like her around to help us understand the complexities of medications and their interactions or potential interactions with supplementations and foods. I'd also like to thank Grace for joining me today and hope that she will be joining me on other shows in the future. Now then, there are a few things that I'd like to talk to you about as usual, and one of them, of course, is going to be about that Bellican. You know you've got to bounce soft to feel good, and I am thrilled to say that it is one of the best things that I have ever had happen in my life. If you would like to hear more about the Bellican and all the benefits and what it might be able to do for you or any other information, I am an affiliate with this wonderful organization. I'll put a link in the show notes, but don't forget, you can always get in touch with me directly. Speaking of show notes, I will be sure and provide lots of information about how to get in touch with Debbie, about the courses that she's providing, and also ways for you to get in touch with Grace if you'd like to do so. Now, I'd also like to ask you some other things, and one of those is going to be to ask you to give me a review if you haven't done so already. I really am grateful to those of you who have, and also I'd like to ask you to subscribe and share this podcast with other people that you think might find it a benefit. I am also happy to to say that the event that we were going to have this September has been rescheduled to the 27th of March 2021 at Engineers House in Bristol. I am thrilled to say that Dr. Alan Desmond has confirmed that he's going to be there on the day. So be sure and put that date in your diary. I'd like to thank you again for listening to my show. I've got a great rota of guests coming on over the next few months. I can't believe that I've already done well over 30 shows and I couldn't have done it without your encouragement and your support. So thank you so much for that. I'd like to wish you a wonderful week ahead. And until next time, here's wishing you and yours the very best of health. Bye for now. Bye.